Live from Durbar, this is the Lock Two Podcast. I'm Amy. And I'm Mel. Today we are reading The Mysterious Study of Dr. Sex, which is a short story that was published after Gideon came out, but before Harrow came out. This story covers just a couple of hours in the lives of 13-year-old Camilla and Palamides of the Sixth House. It's written from Camilla's perspective, and we get a lot of insight. In fact, I think the most insight we ever get into what it's like on a different house other than the ninth. So it's a really good read. It's a good read and a very different house than the ninth house. Truly. I loved reading this. I The first time I read it, I sped through because I just wanted to know what happens. That's how I read things the first time through. Mm-hmm. The second time through... This is a hilarious read. It's so funny. It is funny. <laughs> and it's so fun to see Cam and Pal's relationship. You know, this is many years before Canaan House, but they are like so tight already. Yeah, it's it's really cute. It's like, you know, when an eighth grade best friendship kind of situation mm-hmm. going on. Right. Well, do you want to really quick just talk about what happens generally? And then we can kind of go over things that we noticed yeah let's do it summarize it for me all right so basically what happens in this short story which you would not understand at all unless you were a locked tomb reader (laughs) so basically it starts with cam and pal hanging out a woman named archivist zeta zeta comes to find them says that she has something she's going to open this study of this scholar who a Sixth House scholar that's been closed for like 400-something years. So Camilla and Palamides follow this woman down to this office. They open it up, and there's this big mystery because there's a pair of skeletal hands on the desk that are only 200-ish years old. So 210 max. Yeah. And so (laughs) everyone is like, how did they get in here? This room's been sealed for 400 years. And Palamides and Camilla together work out that there is a skeleton in the sort of AC vent up above the office. And what had happened is that this scholar, Dr. Sex, had become a revenant about 200 years before with the help of a fifth house adept and had possessed the servitor skeleton that had been working near his grave and had taken this skeleton outside of the sixth house and through this air duct and to this grate above his old office and gotten his hands through there because he had only fit he had his last project had been working on this literal artifact and he had solved the puzzle or he had not solved the puzzle before he died but in death had figured out how to solve this puzzle and was so obsessed with solving it that he sent <laughs> That he became a revenant and sent these hand and sent the skeleton to basically go solve this puzzle, which is one of those little wooden block puzzles that you move them around to make a ball or make a whatever. And this one specifically is a sphere, and it's just got one little bit sticking out of the sphere. And they realize that he left this last step in the puzzle unsolved so that they could push it in and open up this box and inside is a a note a literal note written on paper 
And basically all of the six people are like so amazed by Palamides and Camilla and everyone's so happy. We also find out that Archivist Zeta is Palamides' mom, (laughs) which is really interesting. But that's basically what happens. They go down to this room. They solve this puzzle. Everyone's pumped. But within that is so much shit. That's really good. You wonder, like, what was the purpose of this story being told? It is not at all about Dr. Sex, which, by the way, I love the recurring not sex joke that happens throughout this whole thing. Uh It's structurally hilarious. And this, Amy, this reads to me like, is it like Sherlock? It's like a Sherlock Holmes type vibe where it's all just like deduction and reasoning and common sense and observation and I feel like I remember reading Sherlock Holmes and people would always be amazed by Sherlock Holmes ability to crack the case but really he's just looking at the room right and observing and that's basically what Palamides is doing here. Right. Mainly because they're not allowed to do psychometry in this space. There's a lot of bureaucracy and rules so on the Sixth House, many which rules. is really fun. And yeah, we could go through it and just talk about there. There's a, some in the beginning, just a fun letter from Dulcinea as right. well. That is, I, I read this letter in the voice that Moira Quirk uses for. Dulcinea in, in Gideon and Harrow and it's really funny I especially like the end where in the letter she goes very trage and I like googled I was like what is trage tragic just tragic <laughs> but yeah in any case the way that the letter is presented to us is from Camilla's memory and we also get a look at Palamides memory in this too And we get this at the end as well, that Palamides can look at something and just remember it. Mm -hmm. And that comes up in Gideon as well. Yeah. But basically, Dulcinea is like, they sent me away to Pro and Mia. So Mia, assuming is Mia is Protesilaus' wife Uh and their children, who are the same, the oldest one is the same age as Palamides, which is cute. And she's basically complaining that everyone's tiptoeing around her and she's so bored and all of this shit. And then when she talks about Protesilaus' oldest kid, she calls him a blessed creature, which I think here means that he's a necromancer. Yeah, a blessed creature, only one with aptitude. So the eldest son of Protesilaus is a necromancer and therefore he's scrawny. Right. And that's what's so tragic. Yeah. And then the the last line of this letter is really funny because she's also complaining that this kid has taken a liking to her. He's bringing her flowers, but she doesn't have the heart to tell him that she just wishes he would bring her extramural magazines and cigarettes. And then in capital letters, underlined, says, this is a joke. <laughs> yeah. Mainly, right, because Palamides is going to just lose his mind off of Dulcinea, who has like a you know, blood cancer should not be smoking cigarettes. Right. Well, it's cool to see. We know that Dulcinea and Palamides had this relationship through letters for many, many years. And it's cool to just like get a little bit more insight into that. I'm interested. I'm not sure what Camilla thinks about Dulcinea, but she doesn't actually 
supply a lot of her own opinions here on what's going on with Dulcinea. I I can never tell if she's jealous or if she's just kind of standoffish about it, but... Well, it's cute. It's cute that Dulcinea addresses the letter to both of them. Right. I thought that was really cute. You know, it's not just a relationship that she's having with Palamides. It's also with Camilla. Right. It's funny that Camilla basically chooses Pal's classes for him. (laughs) And we just learned a lot about how things work in this house. It says that basically people who are not necromancers in the sixth house get put into three different categories. The like (laughs) hot, smart ones who I guess end up doing actual deployment. Yeah. And then there's the smart ones who are not hot, who I don't. I don't really know what... They just do, like, general referral. Right. We'll go wherever. But if you're just attractive... you're just hot, you get sent to these sort of parts of the cohort that there's a lot of waiting around and boredom. So that basically... <laughs> they have a bunch of sex and have a bunch of babies so that they can renew the gene pool and it's this like sort of nefarious but very funny <laughs> strategy that it's the so sixth good. house has to try and get more genetic material into the sixth house it's so very sixth that that they would be strategic about that i had to google a word and i'm gonna butcher this consanguinity do you know what that means well i see your note here so yeah (laughs) no but i wouldn't have before it means the fact of being descended from the same ancestor they basically tantamir's vocabulary just continues to astonish me i know she loves words loves them and makes me love them even though i cannot unlike palamides i look at a new word i look it up i read the definition and i immediately forget but She's saying that these tables get narrow year by year. I wonder why they get narrower and narrower if the six is being so strategic about spreading the genes around. So again, just like another curious thing about the population decline that's going on in these houses. It is interesting because I feel like, I mean, they're 10,000 years old, so they were fine up till now. What changed? And Abigail says the fifth house is sort of declining and we know the ninth house is declining. I wonder if it's... Well, you remember the Emperor Undying says to Harrow, like, the Empire is dying. Yeah. And it's something to do... Well, it's interesting. I hope we learn more. I think we will. Yeah. Yeah. Also, there's a cute thing in here where Camilla says, the warden used to joke about losing me to the Alexandrites, which are the uh, uh, hot and smart, which is, like, flirty. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I yeah, great... Great window into the sixth house up until this point. And then we meet Juno Zeta. Zeta. Jeez, you have Sorry. me saying it. Zeta is actually the sixth letter in the Greek alphabet, which is a cute L-O-L. thing. <laughs> and Zeta is a very cheerful person and very smart uh, and whose brain moves like a mile a minute. And again, we have no idea... At this point in the short story, we're just like, oh, this is an adult, and they're pulling Palamides and Camilla into this exciting moment. Um, But we don't know the relation between Zeta and Palamides. We do get a lot of, they're they're talking about the bureaucracy. It's like they're, you know, all in the office together, and they're complaining about that. And she's also asking about, she asks Palamides about his dad, and which is interesting because it's it's Mm -hmm. the guy she had a baby with. 
So, <laughs> but after learning about the sixth right. house and how they think about, you're like they probably also she probably did not give birth to Palamides. He was probably right. born in a vat womb. Probably, yeah. She. It is also interesting because she says to Camilla, like, I won't ask about your family because, like, I see them all the time. And I think this implies that because we know they're second cousins, so I bet that Camilla's parent, one of Camilla's parents, is the sibling of Zeta because that would make them second cousins. Sorry, not the sibling. So... A cousin. Yeah, a yeah, cousin. yeah. So, right. So Camilla's parent and Pal's parent are cousins. And so I bet that mm-hmm. it's Camilla's mother with... or. Palamity's yeah. mother with Camilla's. Man, this is so freaking confusing. <laughs> yeah. But you know what I'm saying. Yep. yep. Just hanging out with her cousin. Yep. And so Z- uh, Zeta invites, you know, Palamides and Camilla to this unsealing, which Camilla guesses because there's a blue form, which is, again, another nod to the bureaucracy of the sixth house, which is very funny. And then there's a few paragraphs that feel not relevant at first and then in true Tamsin Muir style become relevant towards the end of the story around right. watching adepts do routine maintenance and how they do that on the house, mm-hmm. which is they attach umbilicals to skeleton servitors and send them outside the hatches to then like do maintenance right. on the structures. And then again, a nod to the bureaucracy saying like, this is really outdated. And Palamides had suggested to the oversight body that we bring in a ninth house expert, which is also cute so funny. foreshadowing for many years from this moment. But that he he didn't get very far with the oversight body. So just a lot of bureaucratic jokes throughout this. Yeah, you can tell that Tamsin Muir has definitely worked in an office. <laughs> yeah, totally. Or at least watched a lot of TV. Yeah. I don't actually have a ton to say about the actual mystery solving. It's cute the way it's written. And it is interesting to like watch Palamides and Camilla work together. But yeah, I actually don't have much to say about that. I have... I. I mostly have stuff to say about the very end. Yeah. The letter and the... Right. Well, I have I have one thing to say about the mystery, mm-hmm. which, you know, we... Amy kind of talked through how, how everything went down. But the one little thing is about the copper's role in this and about, like, organic. I feel like things that we learn here are even more information around organic yeah. material and why... That's not a thing <laughs> for the nine houses. I just, I feel like after reading this, that the dots totally connected for me. Of course, there's a shortage of organic material because necromancy gets its power from killing organic material because organic material is alive. It's thalergetic and they live on thanergetic planets. That's why there's flimsy. That's why there's plastics. What's curious is that copper seems to be like a barrier. Bodies are buried in copper coffins. And I think the assumption up until this point was that there couldn't be a very strong energy transfer through copper. And after this situation, Palamides is like, 
this has implications, but like no one asks him about it and he's bummed. But I'm curious if Copper's going to come up again in these stories. And I feel like it would be just like Tamsin Muir to bring in something from this short story into the next couple of books. For and sure. If you know, you know, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. She loves I just like a little bit of fan service. I love it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I also think that, I mean, they don't have a lot of organic material because they all live on planets in our solar system that aren't Earth, where you literally can't grow shit. Right. So I don't know actually where they get... I think the main reason that they're conquering all these worlds is because God has this weird-ass vendetta. But I also think that they literally need... They, like, import a lot of their shit from these other worlds that are still thalergetic enough to produce organic material for like food Mm -hmm. i'm sure that they have their own oh my gosh i just remember that you also had a moment where you did aquaponics (laughs) no no i didn't do it i bought everything to do aquaponics and never set it up oh my god (laughs) wow blast from the past so yeah well unlike mel these people probably have aquaponics but um you know i'm sure that they have to import any paper that they have is made outside of the nine houses right because well and they don't use paper because it's so rare i mean any paper that you find in these houses is under lock and key you know any paper on the sixth house and we see that towards the end people fucking freak out and they're like we must preserve it there was a cute little description of this office where the like flimsy top of the desk was made to look like wood right so like i'm imagining like a plastic rolled roll top on this desk that has a wood grain print on it which was funny it's cute yeah and speaking of speaking of paper i think the big reveal is when they open this pal finishes the puzzle pushes this piece and it opens up and inside this like sphere of wood of real wood is paper is a is a letter and he only gets a quick glance at it before everyone sort of swarms of does this shit because they're so intense about protecting paper but because Palamides remembers everything he's, he has a photographic memory he remembers what he read which should I just read yeah the... you should just read it all right and the paper says it's a literal note I don't know how they know this but it they I don't think they know it's a licked like written by it a lictor though it's not written by a lictor i think that they know it's a literal artifact because it was that's what dr sex was working on like they knew he was working on a literal artifact so they right, assume right, right, the right. paper inside of it like this puzzle right. which is just like one of those stupid puzzles you get yeah <laughs> it's like it's like the sunglasses it's like this like dorky thing from our universe right. you know that make it into this one anyway yes well, we also know that it's a literal note because of what is written. Although, well, I'll read it. It says, Darling girl, tomorrow you will become a lictor and finally go where I can't follow. I want you to keep this letter when you are far away and think of me and want me and can't have me. And know that no matter how far you travel, nor how long the years feel, the one thing that never stays entombed is... Dot, dot, dot. Because he couldn't see it all. So he only saw the beginning. How much would you give to read the rest of this freaking letter? I really hope you get to read the rest of this letter someday. And again, it'll be like, and if you know, you know thing. There's so much to say about this. Also, just right before this letter, 
Camilla's kind of narrative is that over the years, Palamides always maintained that it was a love letter and that he should know he wrote a lot of them and never got any back, which kind of totally breaks my heart. But here's what I deduce from this letter. We don't know who exactly it's to, but we could presume that whoever wrote this understands that when someone becomes a lictor, they cannot return to the nine houses. Well, I don't think they knew that back then. But they're saying you're going to have to be far away. You're going to want me and you can't have me. I think this is a cavalier writing to their necromancer. You think? Yeah. Oh, that's what you think. Yeah, I think I took it as like they figured out the process. And I bet that this is, well, I don't know who it would be. I mean, this could be so. I thought about Christabel theory, too. It could be Christabel to Mercy Morn because it's being imposed on Mercy Morn. Right. Yeah, I can only. I think it must be a neck. It must be a cavalier to their necromancer, and it must. And this implies that actually, there must have been a moment where they all realized what had to happen. And we're like, oh, my God. And they probably had all these talks together about how could we actually kill our Cavaliers. Yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised if it was Christabel writing to Mercy more because she knows that she and Alfred are going to make this suicide pact. And but who right. I mean, but it must if we're so who else would it I be? Mean, here's it can only be a couple of people, a couple of people. Right. So it could be this could be addressed to Mercy Morn. It could be addressed to. Cassiopeia. It could be addressed to Kitherea. Those are the three like she/her pronoun characters. I feel like it has to be Cassiopeia or Mercy Morn. Yeah, you're right. It it can't be Kitherea because that would be the timing is off. Well, I think that Love Day was just not. Um, I I I thought it was implied yeah. that Love Day was not. I don't know. I think. Well, maybe who knows. I bet it's Christabel to, Mor- to Mercy Morn. Yep. I think that's our best guess. Although it's funny because my original interpretation of this was not a cavalier to a lictor. But I guess it would make sense because who else knows about the lictoral process other than a cavalier? Yeah, I guess that they must have had people working with them. So it could be it could be that one of them had a relationship with one of the necromancers. But I just, like, right. there's too much shit about the yeah. Cavaliers and the Necromancers. It has to be a Cavalier, yeah. I feel like. Otherwise, yeah. it would be kind of weird. Yep. Oh, it could be Anastasia also. No, I don't, I think. Like, who knows, right? But Samael and Anastasia were working out true lictorhood. Oh, that's true. Like, they there, didn't know. There right wasn't an right. assumption that, you had that Samael was going to die, right. necessarily, so. I feel that the theory that it's Christabel to Mercy Morn is, like, really solid. Mm -hmm. Oof. All right. Well, I'm telling you, I want more on these gals. I know. (laughs) (sighs) And then let's just really quick touch on the very last line. So I'll just read the rest of it. It says, I don't have a copy anymore, referring to the letter. He and I burned the transcript to keep from getting caught with it. He didn't need one anyway, nor did I. Palamides remembers everything. That was his problem. I always remember him. That's mine. I know. Um, we don't the we don't know when Camilla who Camilla is communicating this to or and when. Because you know, in Harrow, presumably it's Gideon catching Harrow up on 
what's been going on. And maybe at some point we'll reveal like at what point in this greater timeline Gideon is explaining to Harrow all of the events of of what happened in Harrow the Ninth. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm curious if and I can we confirm that this was written before Harrow? I'm not sure, but part of me almost wonders if Camilla is telling this story to Nona. I don't know. It's yeah. just like a fun wondering. There's also really quickly something that gets referred to in the Nona excerpts that's in here where when they're solving the mystery Camilla says I started putting my weight on one foot rolling my center of gravity forward then on the other helps me think and in the Nona excerpts I think Nona talks about how she can tell the difference between Camilla and Palamides even though they're in the same body because Camilla's always moving right and again just consistency here is beautiful. Yeah. I think even in Gideon, there's a part where she's about to duel Marta and she was kind of like bouncing back and forth. And then Palamides is like, go for it. And then she kind of like yeah. is still finally. <laughs> yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah. And I don't know if this gives any more credence to the theory that Camilla has feelings for Pal. It might like romantic feelings but i do feel like whatever she feels for him he is her everything mm-hmm. yeah yep she could also be telling this story to judith just thinking about that last part and you know judith's short story and and harrow and judith like confronting camilla about her unhealthy relationship with palamides right. and judith kind of tells camilla a story and you know part of me does wonder Yeah, I just wonder who is Camilla talking to. In any case, this was a really fun read. Yeah, These two characters are like also some of the best characters, I think, in these books. Yeah, definitely. They're so easy to love. I'm excited to get more of them in. So I think that's probably it for today. Thank you guys again for joining us. And if you liked listening, please rate and review us. We'd love to hear your questions and comments and thoughts about, especially Dr. Sex. Like, I feel like there are a lot of questions that we still have about it. So send us any information or or any thoughts that you have to our website, LockedToomPod.com, or to our Twitter, which is at LockedToomPod. And we release episodes on Tuesdays and... Most of the time. Most of the time. <laughs> I'm Amy. I'm Mel. And we'll see you next time here at the Locktoon Podcast.